Welcome to Pods Advise, our uh, fake sponsor today is Domino's Pizza. Domino's Pizza. We have usually the best. It is pretty damn good. Hey, I yeah. I, love I order that's that's literally almost every weekend. My kids ask me to order Domino's. For Domino's. And yeah. I have all my orders saved on the app and all that stuff. I love it. I love We've it. been doing the pie. Yeah, the pie. We're just we ever had the pie. Yeah. 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 I'm trying to find that sponsorship. That's the closest thing I can find to. The Chicago pizza. Oh, really? Yeah, we lived in Chicago. Yeah. The pie is the closest to Chicago yeah. I can find here. And I think, I mean, their pizza, their, their pies that they have are awesome. Yeah. Their specialty pies, but we got a pepperoni a couple weeks ago. They do so a weird thing with the pepperoni. Yeah. If you ever remember. But they do a weird thing where they do like this, it's the bread, the sauce, then they do the pepperoni, and then the cheese on top of the pepperoni. So you yeah. don't know it, but the pepperoni is underneath. It's underneath, yeah. But it's... It, I think that it makes the cheese all slide off much easier yep. than normal. Like yeah. even from the sauce to cheese, it's I don't like it at all. Actually, it tastes fine, but I don't like eating it. Yeah, yeah. That's why we decided to do. If we were getting pep, we were going to do. Yeah, Domino's. Domino's so we got David also on. Yeah. Thank you for being here. Good to be here. Um, I asked him, "What do you want?" He said, "I like pepperoni. I'm getting crazy. I want pepperoni and sausage." <laughs> so I did a regular pep. And then I did a thin crust of pep and sausage. So oh, perfect. Cool. Take your, take your pick. Yeah, I'm, no veggies. I'm good. Okay. So, <laughs> so if, if we're going to get really wild, I'm going to need a root beer. Yeah. Oh, so yes. I'm boring. I'm boring on the food. Just <laughs> meat and cheese, and that's good. So before before we got going on the pipe, well, maybe record it, but you were saying you lived, you grew up here, mm -hmm. Salt Lake area, but yeah. then you were in Chicago. For a while, Is, I mean, I don't know if that's where you went from being here, but yeah, where where did you? What kind of took you to Chicago, and then you came back? But I'm just kind of curious to the timeline history. Yeah, my career. So I grew up here um, most of my life. My parents, you know, when, when I was in high school, moved up to Park City. I went to high, uh, Skyline High School here in Salt Lake. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, went on an LDS mission. Um, you know, I played sports, you know, growing up, so I was a baseball player, loved baseball, went to school at Southern Utah University my freshman year, then came back from my, my mission and went to BYU for a year and tried to play baseball there and it didn't work out, so. But you, did you play at SUU? Yeah, okay. yeah, my freshman year I did, so. What year was that? Uh, that would have been 90, when was it? It would have been 96, 1996. Oh, really? Yeah. So Interesting. Really, yeah, that was back in the day when I was, Athletic yeah. and healthy. So you graduated in 95? Yeah, 95. Same. Okay. 95 ers Yep. We got 2005. No, 2003. Or what Three. Year? 2003. 2003. Just yeah. a few years. Just a few years. Yeah. 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 So my career, my, my career took me to Chicago. So after school, I got a job with Kraft Foods and Sales and then moved into HR and they moved me around the country. You know, so we live in Denver, Chicago, Arkansas and then Madison, Wisconsin, and then we decided Chicago was where the headquarters was and we didn't want to go there, so me and my wife decided to jump and take a package and come back to Utah and see how we could make it work out here. And we love it. We love it in Utah. Is she from here? Mm-hmm. She's yeah. from Orem. Yeah. Orem? Yeah. How old's your, where's your wife go to high school? I love playing, I love playing the high school. She team. went to we play it all the time. Yeah. She was Orem High. Yeah. Same years? She got Yeah. Married. No, same years as me. So, yeah, she would have graduated in '95. Cool. Yeah, I was a Bruin. Oh, you were. '95 okay. Bruin. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that was a good time. Good time. But yeah, it's uh, we've been in Utah for 
four years now. So, so we've been here. That's it. It's only been four years since mm -hmm. you've been back. Yeah, I thought you've been here a lot longer than that. No, it's been okay. four years. I think you know. Have you been in Ultra Den since you came back? Three years. Okay. Yeah. So I came back here and I didn't have a job. So I was, you know, just doing the network thing. That's when I started up Disrupt. You know, I just decided, while I'm looking for a gig, that's going to help me get to know people. Yeah. Um, and uh, I didn't realize it would take off like it did just to get a solid audience and people that have a passion for what we were doing. But uh, it took me about uh, nine months after I moved here to find the right gig. And I love Ultra. It's a great place. You know, we're on a growth trajectory to get to a billion dollars right now. So we've got a goal to get to a billion by 2030. It's a great company for so years, and we're still growing. And you guys are in South Jordan? Yep, South Jordan, right off of 106 South. Yeah. yeah. Okay. How long have you been in that building? Uh, yeah, that building, it's been about 30 years. So our founder, Dr. Fisher, he started in his backyard in the, yeah. the company. There, you know, he has family doing medical you know, devices and for the dentists. And uh, eventually, yeah, they, they bought the property and they grew it there. So. Yeah, it's been at least 30 years they've been in South Jordan. So That's cool. Yeah, it's a good story. <clears throat> okay, so you started at Kraft, but yep. you were in sales. My first job, three years in sales, yep. So when did you know you wanted to get into HR? Did you get into an accident? I feel like everybody we talked to was like, yeah, I got into HR. I was, like call, I was in the call center, and then yeah. next thing you know, I was doing, like, finance, HR. doing this, and then they're like, oh, you can get into HR. So I jumped in, and I liked it. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah, yeah, so, no, I, uh, so when I went to school, I got my undergrad in marriage, family, human development, because I thought I was going to be a therapist. I grew up with, you know, an environment where I kind of wanted to better my parents' marriage, and I thought I could do that, get a degree, and save other people's marriages for being better, better spouses, but, um, yeah, it was about my senior year, I realized I didn't want to do it after some internships, and so there's not much you can do with that degree if you don't do that. So I did take an organizational behavior class at BYU that I loved. It was my favorite class in college. And that's kind of when it hit me that, you know, I want to figure out how to get into HR because I thought that was HR. Um, but, you know, with my degree, I ended up landing, you know, in craft foods and sales. And it was about a year in when, you know, I was ready for a promotion that I went to my boss and just said, hey, how do you get into HR here? And he had no idea. He looked like me, like I was crazy. I was into <laughs> HR. Um, and so it took me about a year and a half. I networked with the HR teams there. They hired from the top HR schools. So it wasn't normal crap to hire you know, someone from sales. But um, I made it in and you know, took off from there. But the funny thing about HR was when I got into it, it was nothing like what I loved about that class. You know, you guys probably hear this from Lisa and all the people trying to change HR. It was all the administration, it was the you deal with the problems, you fire people, you have us do it without being sued. It's like in that class they're not talking about any of that. No, it's about how do you grow an organization through people strategy. How do you align the passion and the hearts of people to the strategy of the business? How do you um, make sure you're getting performance out of everybody on the teams and you know they're satisfied and they're happy with their jobs. And so you know, it was more about, you know, how do you organize the workforce the right way to deliver results and keep people on board to deliver those results. And, um, yeah, but when I got into it, it was, 
you know, how do you make sure and support the managers to fire without getting sued? Yeah. Um, so did you go back to BYU and was like, hey, this class was great, but you left out a giant piece of what is really happening, what we really have to deal with. Do they, do they have those or classes? Do they have those classes now? Like, did you go I didn't get my degree. Hey, I didn't teachers? get my degree in their program, so I, I oh, really yeah. didn't go to that program. They've got one of the top HR programs okay. in the country. I think they're top 10. Um, but the funny thing about a lot of the HR students that went there since I've come back and gotten to know their program, a lot of them leave Utah because at the time uh, when I was here, uh, HR really wasn't a big opportunity. It was really you know, payroll, administration, all the things that I didn't want to get into. So I thought if I got into a big company, you know, I can figure out how to grow with them. There's opportunities to get into it. And I thought they'd have modern HR, but craft, I spent my whole career, you know, convincing, you know, the HR function and my leaders that, hey, you know, I'll get this stuff done, but give me the time to be able to do the right stuff. And really it was talking to leaders and saying, you know, what's your strategy? How do we align people to that strategy? And my career, the reason I succeeded against all of the people that had the great degrees is because I talked to business leaders the way they wanted to talk about people. And, um, you know, so I ended up, my last job there, I was leading HR strategy at Oscar Meyer in Madison, Wisconsin, <coughs> you know, kind of the company within the company. And so was that under, was that under Kraft? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Kraft owns, you know, a bunch of companies, but that was one of them. And Every time I hear Oscar Meyer, mm -hmm. I think of Sam Lott. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oscar Mayer Wiener. Yeah, we had one guy's like, oh, he's a total Oscar Mayer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, you know, that's okay. I actually managed HR strategy for one of my responsibilities there was the Wiener Mobile. So that was my favorite job. You know, you know, I had. That's actually a car that looks like a hot dog. Yeah. Yeah, so they have Oscar Mayer. At the time I was there, they had six, you know, Wiener Mobiles, and they hired two people. Uh, to drive around in the Wienermobile for years, so it's usually college students out of school, and you'd be amazed how many people applied for the job. Yeah, that's a great marketing strategy. Have a freaking car like a hot dog. Yeah, no, it was actually the first icon. Um, like it's an old concept, but the Oscar Mayer kicked off the concept of cars, icons, things that drive around, or things that you throw at people. Um, so that was that was a fun gig because it's just. You know, once that Wienermobile pulls up into a store or someone, all the kids get excited and everyone loves it. Yeah. You know, it's a fun gig for the kids to do it. All right, let's, let's, I'm going to back up. Okay. Because I want to hear timeline here. So, graduated, are you, did you get married while you were in college? No. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, when did you meet your wife then? Uh, I met her about a year and a half after I graduated from BYU. Okay. Uh, At this point, so you're in... You're with Kraft. Yeah, yeah. When I met her, I was with Kraft. So she, uh, yeah, she. We met here in Salt Lake. Uh, we met in our church group. Okay. And uh, she'd never moved before outside of you know from home to her first job at school. And so you were working for Kraft at that point mm -hmm. from Salt Lake, though. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I had a rep. I was a sales rep, and I had their Walmart accounts okay. in about three or four states. So. Just servicing their accounts and selling our products to them, incrementalizing our business for them. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, my wife. This is our. Yesterday was our 16th anniversary, and we moved. We moved five, I think five or six times, and uh, she loved moving after the first one, but the first time we moved, it was horrible. She hated it. So, yeah, 
But yeah, it was my best she didn't like it just because it was so different. Yeah, well, we moved to Denver. That was the first time she moved, and it was really, you know, getting to know people, and she didn't know a lot of people, and so that was different for her where all of her friends were here. But right. once we, once we, so we moved it every three years. So I was always on the move, and that was the career I had for Kraft Foods to go to different places in the company. So that's their thing. Like if you're moving up, yeah, you're taking different positions in different cities, different states to get to that next level. Yeah, those huge companies. I mean. It's interesting, when I moved back here, people looked at my resume and, you know, I was there for 13 years. And when I came here, it was interesting when I was applying for jobs, trying to network for a head of HR job. Um, a, lot of the, a lot of the tech companies were just like put off by me because my resume, you know, had all my experiences were with craft. And it, would, it baffled me because from where I came from, it was like 10, yeah, that's 15 a, years. That's when you spend the right amount of time. Yeah. Um, but here, you know. So, like, why do you think they were turned off? Um, one, because I came from a big company. You know, there's a lot of fear of big company people coming in and needing resources, they want to implement processes, and so there's a fear of what they bring. Gotcha. Um, but also, just it, it's kind of a norm here that's been interesting for me to get used to, where it's pretty normal for people in companies to jump around every two to three years, partly because of the money you can make off of it. Um, but they, uh, you know, I'd always try to tell them, you know, it's a big enough company that you're working at companies within the company, so try to compare that. Yeah, it's not just craft. Yeah. You're, yeah, you're dealing with all the subsidiaries of different companies they own. Yeah, yeah. Different so, cultures, different, yeah. Which, do you know and the Wienermobile. Did you put that on the resume? <laughs> yeah. That would actually, <laughs> might, that might look cooler for the Silicon Slopes companies. Yeah. I staff the Wienermobile. One of my favorite things is, you know, I'm still friends with the people that lead the Mobile program, and when we moved into our neighborhood, uh, I reached out to them, and I had to deal with them when I left. You know, can I just have you guys come to my house one time for Mobile? And, you know, they came out our first week there, and we had about 300 people come to our house and get to know us a little bit, and it was the best networking opportunity to move into a neighborhood, so. You just went from, like, I have no idea who this family is, so the favorite family on the street. Yeah, do the normal, yeah. normal except, dudes. Except they just knew we were the Wiener people, so that was the only issue we had, is we were the Wiener people. So, you yeah. a sports guy, you're a sports guy. It's funny, I'm, uh, I love sports, um, but I'm kind of mixed up. I don't really have one team that I follow. I love the Jazz, yeah. um, when they're playing good, um, but I'm pretty fickle on sports in general. Like I was wondering, like, when you were in Wisconsin, was there a team, I mean, did you get into a college team or pro team or anything like that? Or? We always, that was one of our things. We always adopted the team there, but we didn't really go to a lot of games. So we loved uh, University of Wisconsin. Like, when you're in the Big Ten football schools, like, you got to go to one game just to experience what that's like. Um, you know, we, we went to one, um, one game at Camp Randall, and, you know, it was just an amazing atmosphere. I've never heard you know, a whole student section and one, you know, loud over and over again section saying the F-bomb to the other team. <laughs> so, you know, it, it was just the passion of those schools is so much, it's bigger than what we have here. So, um, but I never really picked a team to follow. Um, you know, we just, every team where we went, we went to a Cubs, you know, when we were in the Chicago area. Um, we had the minor leagues in Arkansas when we were there. Um, but yeah, sports, 
you know, I love them, but I don't, you know, even with BYU and Utah, I grew up in a Utah family, my family, my dad, my mother, my sister, my brother, they all went to school there. And I went to BYU, so I was the black sheep. Uh -huh. So my sister, my wife's family is uh, true blue. Like they're, they love BYU, they're passionate about it. Utah County, just they love it. Yeah. They love it. Or so, I, okay. Yeah. But I was, I grew up in Salt Lake condition, then that's a weird place in Utah Valley, <laughs> right? And so yeah. it's kind of fun in my family because everyone hates me because I just go for who's winning. Like if Utah's doing well, I love Utah. If BYU's doing well, I love BYU. And sometimes at halftime, I choose who I'm rooting for. So, so if you want to talk to me about my sports, I can talk about it, but you're probably going to hate me because if you have a passion for one team, I'm just, you know, I just love to watch and have fun with yeah. That's good. Um, okay, so got married. Mm -hmm. First place was Denver. Yep. Um, were you into HR at this point? Or is this your yeah, sales? Was, Denver was my first HR job as a training and staffing manager. Okay. So that's how I got into you know HR there is uh, I was at Kraft and they had purchased Nabisco about two years into my career there, and they were looking for someone that can come and come into a different culture and help them understand the culture I came from. And so that was that, that was probably the only way I got into HR in that company is they saw me as someone that could bring and train their salespeople on how to, you know, integrate to the craft uh, mindset. And, uh, you know, so that kind of set my career as I went into, I've always gone into change situations and been the outsider coming in and um, it was interesting. I learned very early on what that's like because I was very naive, just going from a craft company to the, you know, the company that got taken over. The hatred of craft was very large. Really? Great. So when I got there, you know, I'd be working with people, and I'm their training supervisor for the whole region. And they immediately probably hate you. Or, yeah. Or, or, did they just lump you into the? Well, yeah, how could you hate? No, oh, I'm just saying, hey, man, they got to hate the parent company, the craft, you know, just purchasing stuff. I don't know, maybe the, it rolls over like, oh, shit, dude, this guy's coming in. No, it's, it's kind of the cultural dynamic. When, yeah. when you have a, like, Nabisco was a proud, proud company. And, um, you know, when I came there, I, I was just naive on everything. I was yeah. a salesperson. I grew up in Utah. And <clears throat> I was the only sales rep for my account in Utah. So... When I went there, it was my first time being a part of a team, and I'd go out and work with people, try to understand what they were doing to help with their training plans, and they all wore Nabisco. They would never wear the craft badge, you know, when they were in the stores. And they'd all always look at me, because we had different models, where I was more of a salesperson and they merchandised, because in that business you have, you know, product that ships through the customer, which craft was selling through, and then you have product that ships through your warehouses and trucks in, and you have to stock it. And they just looked at me as like, you're the prima donna that never picks up the product, never sells. And I, it took me a while to, you know, hear, earn their trust and earn their respect. And and I always learned that and it helped me when I came here. It's like I was the outsider coming from Fortune 500 when I came here to Ultradit. And, you know, it, uh, it was something where I had to work through that trust building process. And it takes time when you're an outsider to build that. And um, it's always permeated my career as, you know, I was the only one at that time that went from a craft sales organization into an fiscal sales organization as an outsider. And they loved that, that about me at Kraft. 
that I can move into those experiences and be kind of the calm one that comes in and just lets people build trust with me. Um, and it's ironic because I, I found it disrupt here in Salt Lake City because I'm not really, you know, the person that comes in and shakes things up as much as, you know, strategy sometimes takes time. Right, bringing people along sometimes takes time, and that's that's really helped me in my career to be able to help people along the change curves that they go through. Is how do you help them along slowly, have patience, educate them, and um, you know it really has a lot to do with disruption for me when it comes to how do you change cultures and how do you help them grow. Right. So. Want to take a bite of Yeah, one bite. Got some sausage here. I'm glad everybody's Well. <laughs> What was your next stop after Denver? So after that, I went to Chicago. Okay. What was the role there? Um, I went to Chicago as an analyst, and so I became an analyst for the national retail organization. So by the time, is this still considered in like the HR department? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that was in the HR department. So. So what are you analyzing? What are you looking at? At that time, it was uh, analyzing training capabilities. So. I was the one that was able to bring the two workforces together and train on both and develop training for both craft and Visco in the sales functions. And so um, at that time, we were the first ones doing that because the way craft purchased Nabisco is they left them as separate companies for about five years. And so I was brought to Chicago to be a part of the team that was unifying the organization and basically, you know, not having separate sales forces and you have that marriage there. So I had the analytical responsibilities and the training development responsibilities to um, really help over, I think it was 11,000 people, you know, come together into one company and identify which resources, which programs we go for to be able to, you know, train people to do it the unified way versus the separate ways they were doing it. So, yeah, so that was fun. Um, and law, how many employees is craft? Like with all of their subsidiary, like your Nabisco's and stuff, do you have an idea? It was, uh, right now, when I left Kraft, it was Kraft Heinz because they merged with Heinz okay. at that time. It was just a lot of mergers and acquisitions. Um, they had 29,000 people globally. Um, so it, it always ranged between 22,000 up to 30,000, depending on the mergers that they did. So it's really, you know, the difference with the company that I'm a part of right now is. You know, you get to know people, you get to know the whole organization, <coughs> like that. You're getting to know pieces of it and parts right. of it. And there's so many new geographies, yeah. So you're analyzing over half, I mean, about half the employees on how to bring these two companies together to yeah, sales. that marriage, right? Yeah, sales was a big part of it. And then you went to Wisconsin after Chicago? No, I went to Arkansas. Oh, Arkansas. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so I got a second job in, I got my first uh, HR manager job in Chicago managing. HR for all of their, um, they call them growth channels, just all the random stores, you know. And so Kraft was built on um, mainstream supermarkets. So like here would be your Smiths, your Walmarts, but they had these channels like uh, convenience stores at 7-Eleven and yeah. dollar stores. They had about seven organizations, they called them the growth channels that at that time, they were uh, the organizations that uh, there was kind of a running joke that that's where you send people to die because the people that are growing in their careers and tenure, you know, let's send them to that place because we don't have a lot of business there. And so, you know, they needed, they were brought, they brought me into HR there and at that time they were growing those businesses and having exponential growth happen. Were you nervous? Like, 
with that one. That was my first real HR manager job. Because you mentioned that that's where they send people to die. Like when you uh, got that position, you're like, oh hell. I was just, I was, this, might, this might be the end of the rope. I don't know. Uh, I'm not a very strategic career person. I was just happy to have the HR job because <clears throat> I was always kind of the person that was looked at as the outsider in HR too. So for me, that was my real HR job. And it was a stretch for me because the person I replaced was a director and they put me in there with the same responsibilities as just an HR manager. And I, I always remember my boss that assigned me that job. He was the head of HR for the sales organization at Kraft. And you know, he just came to me one day and said, you want to get into HR manager role, right? I said, yeah, I want to do that. I said, well, we're going to put you here. And I looked at him and said, so you want me there where he was a director? And I mean, there was seven teams across the country spread out. And he said, yeah, you know, can you do it? I said, yeah, well, don't mess it up. And that was my invite to do it. Um, but I loved it. I, mean, I spent uh, two years in that job and got to know, you know, the business better and helped uh, relocate some businesses to new places and really help those strategies move forward. And then they put me in my next job down in Bentonville, Arkansas for the Walmart account. So that was, I think it was around 20, 20 to 25% of Kraft's revenue globally went through that one place. This is for all Walmart? Mm -hmm. Okay. So they were kind of on their own. Uh, interesting, a lot like um, sometimes what happens here, they were a team that had all the budget, all the money. Walmart was the dominating revenue player for us. And they never had HR on site before, so they sent me down there to uh, identify how to create performance in a world where they've grown just through store growth for they've grown sales there for craft for about 10 10 years with Walmart's growth in grocery and then about two years before I got there they stopped hitting their numbers and they stopped delivering results and you know they were declining and so they said we need to figure out how to turn the tide of the people dynamic of what's going on down there so I got involved there just to help identify you know how to find the people strategy that helps turn the tide of the business strategy essentially yeah um, which, which was what could you nail it down to a few things or like this is what's going on this is why yeah no it was uh um, that's interesting to me like you think of like sales declining yeah i don't know i just never think of like okay well we need to send an hr rep in to see why sales are declining in this area like usually it's like let's get you know, somebody in finance to figure out what's going on. Yeah, it was basically the person they assigned there, The he was on the executive team of Kraft, it was so big, they assigned him to be the head of Walmart sales and come <coughs> in and identify that they need to figure out how to turn the culture around, and so that's why they needed HR. But no one at Kraft wanted to go there um, in HR. Everyone had their comfort zones, and you know, the thing about Bentonville, Arkansas is that a lot of people in a lot of companies, like Walmart requires you to have a headquarters office there to sell to them. It's just a requirement, and that's how they build the community there. And so a lot of people in the business said, you know, no one wants to go there, but once they go there, they never leave, which is true. And that's, that's kind of what happened. When I got there, I, I got there just to get to know people, understand what's going on from the sales standpoint and the personnel standpoint. And um, I, I noticed early on there was, these dominant players that had been there for about 15 years. Um, they were tenured, they were pretty close to retirement, 
strong personalities, strong relationships with the customer historically. And then we have these younger talents that were up and comers in the, the company that when I talked to them, I noticed ego, major egos with these guys just saying, you know, I had one of them just say, you know, all you need to know about me is I've got two years left to retire. I'm one of the top sellers here and HR can stay away from then I go to these other people and just get to know them, ask them how it's going, and I hear these complaints about, you know, we have these two people that I'm a salesperson that has an opinion, and we're trying to grow this business, and they shoot down everything. And now when I look back, it's your classical change management situation. Is you have some people that struggle with change, right. and there was a lot of change that they were able to resist, and then you had these um, younger talents that they were there to be able to bring change and bring sales, but they were being pushed back. And so what I ended up doing there is identifying the reality is they had a lot of money that they were spending on keeping people happy to retain them because it was a hot market with all the companies down there that mm -hmm. pay a lot of money to get talent from the big companies. Um, but I came in and just started talking to them about, let's, let's talk about our people from the aspect of how they're performing with their sales results and how they're performing from a human standpoint with the value systems that we say we believe in, but people aren't really holding accountability to those values. And, uh, you know, so we had these performance reviews, calibrations, and just sit down. In my first year um, there, we had a calibration where I brought everyone together in the executive team. We sat down and we just went through each person and said, how are they performing from a results standpoint? How are they performing from a leadership standpoint in our culture? And what, what was very glaring when we put numbers up on the wall, they were trying to give people you know, top bonuses um, and high performance measures with, you know, we put red, green, and yellow. Did they hit the numbers? Did they not hit the numbers? And all these people that didn't have you know, results delivered were getting their bonus. They were getting um, their, um, you know, their increases and everything, just as high as everybody else. So it's hitting and so we'd have this discussion the first year where as an HR person, I partnered with the, the leader of that team just to say, so why are you giving them their full bonus when they're not hitting their numbers? And you know, it just came down to this, well, if we don't do that, we'll lose them. Yeah. And so then I'd go through and say, well, let, me ask, let me ask you this question. You're gonna lose, and a lot of it was these two guys, you know, two guys that were dominating the culture of that sales team. I just said, so I hear from a lot of the talent in this organization, those two guys that are getting these numbers that you're worried about losing are actually making it hard for them to have a voice on this team. And it, it just ensued this amazing discussion where the president was not gonna let it down. He had my back as the HR person to challenge the conversation and all of a sudden they started talking about, yeah, well actually, five years ago, it's interesting, you know, I didn't know he was doing that to other people. He almost got fired, because someone left the organization and wrote a message to the CEO of Kraft Foods about him. And um, so we came out of that and they, gave, they were required to give those people a message that you're not getting your full bonus and you're not getting your full performance unless you change how other people feel about you and your results. A year, a year later, those two guys were gone by their own choice. 
we had promoted some younger talent in, and they started hitting the numbers again. Yeah. And for me, um, that was the first time I really had an experience where I, where I could see the power of human resources on performance. Because um, when you get the culture right, when you hold people accountable, and not just to the numbers, but to the culture, um, if you can get those two things right, you have happy people, you have partnerships, you have team working together, pushing in the same direction. Um, and that was honestly one of the best experiences I've had having in my career because it, it really set the tone for me of how I believe we need to you know, manage people and work with people and help people succeed. Right. So, That's a great story. What, like, but from when, when you decide, because I imagine you have to decide, okay, here's a strategy. Okay, we're going to, <clears throat> we look at all the numbers, we're going to implement, like, got to hear bonuses. But, I mean, is this, is this over, like, months and months of conversation trying to figure it out? Or is this just, like, you going in, and within weeks you can figure out kind of what, why these two guys aren't, you know, are hurting the culture. Let's make a decision, and then they're gone by, like, a month? Or is this, is this more of a longer, I'm just kind of curious on that, yeah. that side. Because sometimes I see, you know, my experience is, you know, you want to just come in and drop the hammer and get something done in two weeks or whatever, but it does take, I mean, it just seems like it takes three times as long as what you hope it would take to maybe change something or, or, or implement a new strategy. I think it's the size and scale you're dealing with. Yeah. That team, because I had other responsibilities outside of that team, but that was my main responsibility. Mm -hmm. It was about 150 people at that site, so it was a smaller group to be able to really assess, but it did take six months to really get a feel for the team, get a feel for the leadership. And it, you know, it was really month eight and nine where we sat down and had hard discussions about what was really going on there. So to me, and this is what I, how I feel about when you're making assessments on people for their careers, is um, I really don't believe you can have a true legacy in a job until you deliver awesome results that usually occur in the second and third years of the job. Yeah. Um, which is hard in a market like this because people want to just progress their careers really fast. Yeah. But that took you know, that took a year for us to start seeing the fruit of hard discussions and turning into performance at the same time with happy people. So, you know, it's different when you go to like an Oscar Meyer where um, in my third year, you know, I had a new president and we were working on different parts of that organization that I was responsible for on the same things. And, um, you know, by the time we started seeing it turn, the merger happened and we ended up deciding to shut down the site and move everything to Chicago, which is why I left. I didn't want to move with it. Um, so it's interesting. What came out of that experience for me is something that we're doing at Ultradent right now. Is so I was going to ask you, like, what, how is Ultradent different? I mean, kind of, I was if you, hopefully, I know you probably can get to it, but comparing the two kind of companies, you know, in that experience. Yeah, Ultradent, Ultradent is a company that, and this is why I love the company, um, they have 40 years under their belt under an inspirational, iconic leader in the dental industry that one of the core values that they have is care. And we have a core value that we drive. And so when I came there, I just saw they have care. And as an HR leader, that's one of the easiest things to work with when you have care, to balance that with the responsibility to deliver results. And so um, we call it the X model. There's a company called um, 
GP strategies that I ran into when I was at Craft uh, Foods, where the X model is basically two sides to an equation. One side, you have the company that needs each employee to deliver maximum contributions. The other side is you have employees that are looking for maximum satisfaction from the company. And in the middle, you meet in their job. And you have a manager that's responsible for them that has the most impact on their ability to have clarity to contribute and understand and be able to voice what it takes to be satisfied. And so I, I just build my HR strategy around that, is that if we can get the workforce to have clarity for outcomes and we hold clarity for if they deliver those outcomes or not, and then we can have conversations with those employees to have that, but also ask them, well, what does it take for you to be the happiest here? You know, if we can have those ongoing conversations, you start to build something where the employee is able to tell you, you know, what it takes. And I've had employees on my team that it's become clear that I'm not going to be able to deliver what it takes for them to be happy. And I've had to work with people to say, okay, well, you'll just have to let me know if you're going to leave or not. Give me some notice. But I support you in that. I want you to be happy to get to that ideal, what we call the apex of performance <coughs> and satisfaction. And if we can get people close there on a consistent basis, it makes a huge difference in the culture. Um, so that's, you know, yeah, if anyone wants to learn about that, they can just go, to, they can go online and type the X model on YouTube and see a video that we base our strategy around um, for the human factor. And so is that something that you, sorry, I don't know what you said, is something that you brought in, or is that already there when you joined? No, we brought it in. We actually have developed a leadership program that okay. we started right before COVID that is based on this X model of leadership. And we, we center everything around the manager skill set around working with their employees to deliver on results, but also talking to them about what's what's their satisfaction driver, whether it be career, whether it be work-life balance, whatever it may be, how do we figure out how to support both those areas. So, um, so right now we've actually got a video out and we're doing virtual trainings with all of our leaders to navigate the X model and understand how it works. And it's very it's very impactful. Um, managers have it. It's very simple. Um, and so, yeah. But you might have said, so how many employees are at Ultra Dead? What do you guys have? We were at six, uh, we were at 1,700 prior to COVID. Uh, now we're right around 1,500 and building back. And so, um, yeah, it's 1,500 around the globe. We've got most of our employees, about 1,200 here in the U.S. Okay. and smaller subsites around the, around the global landscape. How many in Utah? Utah majority? So, yeah, majority. So okay. we have sales force across the U.S. Um, in Utah, we probably have, uh, right now we're probably at 1,100 in Utah. So okay. the majority are in Utah. Yeah. About 200, 200, 250 around the globe, and then we have about 100 people spread across the U.S. When you came to Ultra, because it, it, it appears, I mean, the stories that you told us when you were um, <coughs> with Oscar Meyer and Kraft and stuff, like you, you had management basically backing you, they had your back on the decisions that you wanted to implement and take. And take. When you came to Ultra, did you kind of feel, because the conversation that we have with a lot of HR people is, do you have a seat at the table? Do you feel like you have a seat at the table? Like when you came to Ultra, did you feel like, yeah, I have 
have a seat at the table, like they're going to listen and support the things that I want to put into place. Um, or is that one of those things you just kind of came in like, <laughs> yeah, I got to build trust? And, yeah. I mean, I mean, you got to build trust everywhere. Yeah, but. I'm just trying to figure out how to say it <laughs> very clearly, knowing that some people will see this. Um, I'm pretty honest with them about where I'm at. I'm in a very good place going into year three in a, what was originally a five-year strategy that I thought would be a seven-year strategy after I really got in there and realized this is going to take more time. Um, I mean, with your background, I just feel like you can speak the language of the yeah. CEO, the CFO, the COO, like... Yeah. It, it wasn't right away because there's a whole culture built around a certain kind of HR. They've been practicing HR at Ultranet in a way that was the old way. Um, and so when I got there, I had four business partners that were responsible for um, really employee relations you know, issues the reactive stuff and then I have a team of about 17 people that you know we have events we have benefits did you say 17 mm -hmm. okay. yeah and so but the majority of my business partners which is the, the business partnership role we're doing employee relations or labor relations or the issue management stuff the discipline and you know that was the first thing I realized when I got there is we have to change so we assign that work to one person. And this is the strategy for me in HR is how do you focus the, really the traditional things, the old things is what I call them, that you have to do. You know, you have to deal with issues and do them the right way for the person, the regulations, and the organization. Um, we assign that to one person that's very, very good at that on our team. And then we assign the business partners to focus on the strategic, you know, things that I've worked on is how do you align the people to the strategy? How do you work with leaders to be great leaders? And um, I was actually seeing your, your podcast with uh, Elisa that she talks about the, you know, the traffic cop and right. the billboard. Yeah. Um, I call Wait, HR. Did you listen to it? I did. We got listeners. We got listeners. You got listeners. I was binge watching last night just to get ready for it. For all the questions you guys asked in front but um, I, I call it architect. Um, I don't believe HR is there to be the rock stars in front of the people. HR is behind the scenes that if I can make the CEO and I can provide the tools to all of his executives and then my team can provide that down the line to all the leaders and then down to the employees <coughs> for them to be the best they can be through leadership development, culture development, um, employment branding to attract people, analytics to make the right decisions on people. Um, if you can make them the best they can be or support them to find their path to be the best they can be, you don't need HR doing anything else. And so I call it to the architects for the people that are actually building the business, selling the business, driving the business. And so really at Ultradent, we've been on a journey where I came in and I, I made mistakes when I got there, quite honestly, because I just started this conference called Disrupt HR. Um, I'm not an extrovert by any means. Like the people I surrounded myself with at um, Disrupt have been like Elise, you know, Jerry, um, these personalities, Aubrey Wilson, um, all these personalities that are very, very confidently strong personalities. And here I am, kind of the person that I'm an introvert. I'm more soft-spoken, I'm more reserved. Um, 
And so I thought I had to come in, so I'm the disruptor, and I believe in disruption. So I'm going to come into Ultranet and I'm going to disrupt. I rolled out a strategy within three, 30 days. 30 days they said, hey, present your strategy, and I came and just presented my strategy. My team wasn't ready for that. I wasn't ready for them you know, to follow it. And uh, I really spent my first year and a half in that company with a mix of confusion because I came in and just had a strategy that we are going to do this. They were used to just doing the reactive stuff that the organization expected them to do. And we're just getting our momentum to have everyone realizing this is the right way to do it. The organization is coming along to realize this is how we do it. We have a new CEO that replaced our founder that is seeing the vision of that and helping us drive it forward where COVID has probably been the best thing for my function right now. Because with a new CEO, with a How long has he been there? He's been there for, I think he's been over there for over 10 years, at least 10 years. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So he, he's grown up a lot of his career there, um, mentored by the founder. And you know we have an amazing founder, created an amazing culture that has grown for 40 years and we're still growing. Um, but it's we have a CEO that's coming in now to carry that legacy the right way, but adopt some of these strategies that we've been talking about since I've been there for the last three years. So, you know, it's really taken these incremental steps for a culture to start to adopt and understand what modern HR is, because there is so much connotation on HR in general. You know, whether it be through the media, whether it be just through you know, the services that they provided, everyone still in many organizations just thinks, you know, I only go to HR if I have a problem. There's issues, right? Now. There's issues, or I need to, they need to tell me my benefits. And, you know, we've been working for the last three years to tell you, we've got support, we've got learning, we've got development, we've got strategic change management skills, we've got things that we can help you with. And, you know, our organization's starting to pick up on that's, Oh, I can go to them for that. I it's so hard to get that message across. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like I look back at like other companies that I've been with. Like you hear that message a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you never, you never do it. It's just like, oh yeah, you know, not a problem. I'm not gonna go talk to my HR. Like, I think that's the hardest thing about HR is the perceptions. Um, we've got a lot of momentum in this market with HR that's talking the right way. Um, and that was the purpose of Disrupt, is to change the conversation in this marketplace from the traditional um, conversation about benefits, you know, policies, employment law, to those things plus the things that I'm talking about, which, yeah. you know, how do you get the culture right? Um, so Ultranet's a prime example that it's an, it's an amazing organization. A lot of passionate people that you know, I'll give you an example. You know, we've got my specialty functions all aligned. We just had this outlier position that was struggling. You know, I've had turnover in the position with people coming in that met my strategy, aligned with my strategy, but the culture didn't accept them. Um, and they didn't accept the culture in many ways. And so we just moved away and we don't have business partners anymore. Uh, we have a, a, a manager of talent success and a, an associate manager of talent success. We're using a title that matches what we're doing because we can't get people to understand what they're doing with the HR work, quite honestly. Yeah. 
And so it's been interesting to see um, as we've gone down in headcount to reassess our strategy on that business partner role, people are engaging it more than we've ever had because they're clicking with, oh, talent success, oh, I can go to them for something that's positive, something that's engaging, something that's learning. And we have a lot of marketing that's going out with videos, with um, you know modern videos and modern training and development that's getting people to understand, oh, there's some cool stuff coming from HR. Right. And so people are seeing us in a different light than they ever have. Um, and it's really taken the first year and a half to just to get my team on the same page. Then working on the same page with the skill sets, having a CEO that comes in and understands that. And COVID obviously fast-tracked a lot of what we did because we had to learn virtual. Right. We had to learn how to hold people you know, to outcome-based work from home. And it just fit right into the strategies that we've been having. We just introduced an inclusion strategy for the organization. Um, because the, the riots that are going on right now scares us to death that that's going to come into our culture. And we have a very proud culture that we care about each other, no matter who you are. But we know that there's biases, and we know that we all have to be open and understanding of our own biases to be open and talk about those things and include everybody, no matter who they are, what they believe, and what they're about. Um, and so we got an inclusion strategy that came because our CEO knew that we were talking about that, that we were talking about, hey, we need to develop this strategy, we need to push it forward. And as soon as the riots hit, he you know, came to me and said, you're right, we need to do this. He sent out a note to the organization that racism is not acceptable here, I want to reinforce that. And uh, we had a very diverse population. We have a diverse population, quite honestly, for Utah. Uh, because we have a manufacturing operation that we've hired uh, immigrants over time, we've hired uh, internationally over time, that gives okay. us a lot of diversity. Um, that population really started sending notes in and just saying thank you. Thank you for That's cool. making that communication to tell us that we're doing this and then we developed the strategy and rolled it out and we're working through it right now. But yeah. Is that difficult to roll out during this, COVID. during COVID? For manufacturing, yeah. Okay. So we've got our corporate environments simpler and easier to communicate just because of technology. Um, our manufacturing is the more difficult one that we have. You know, we have to do the paper and the posters and you have to get right. stuff out and yeah. you have to get in front of them. And so COVID's been the most difficult from that aspect because we're not, we're protecting our production workers on site by not bringing ourselves on site so that they okay. can come to work, feel safe, know that they're protected. Um, and so it's really hard for us where we're just starting to be able to get back into getting in front of them and getting them what they need. Um, so, yeah, I just... Um, Sounds very, like you're kicking butt over there. Yeah, no, I, I, we've got a lot of good stuff going on. We've got a great leadership team. Um, and I, I think we're very proud of it because, you know, Ultradent's a very unknown organization here. And it's yeah, one of the biggest absolutely. organizations in Utah. Yeah, and so we're trying to make sure people You're definitely fly under the radar, I think. Yeah. When it comes to kind of this name name recognition. Yeah. And that's one of our employment brand strategies is how do we get our name out there? We're sponsoring TEDx as their main sponsor right now. I saw that. Um, and we're doing those kind of things because it fits our culture and we want people to know that, you know, we're a manufacturer in the state. We're not in the tech sector. But we're a pretty darn good organization to come and work for, have success with. And oh, by the way, we've been growing for 40 years, nonstop. 
Well, I'll tell you what, your name is going to explode after this, after this podcast. Oh, yeah, pods, yeah, pods. Yeah. <laughs> like, dude, we never, oh, yeah, oh now we don't. Get it out there. We want people to know. 1,500 volt, you're going to go up to 2,000. Oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> <clears throat> Paper quick, totally, totally switching gears around. <coughs> I know you have a Fitbit. Mm-hmm. Why, why Fitbit? Because I didn't want to spend money last year on, uh, on iWatch. I had an iWatch before. Yeah. Um, I know, it's random. I just was kind of... I didn't feel like paying the money last year, and so I... Do you use it? I mean, do you like the... The smartwatch thing, or is that do you use it for like fitness? I mean, what do you is that just? I, a, I only like it for fitness. I'm not that. Yeah. I, I just believe. If so I what do you phone, what I do you do for your you bike? Do you do stuff? Like what, what what do you do for activities outside? Well, before four months ago, nothing. Um, <laughs> so, I actually have lost forty pounds during COVID. No, you have not. Yeah. Bull crap. Yeah. Hold on. Forty pounds? Yeah. So Dude, I been like what? Dude, what? that's crazy. I know. That's amazing. Hold on. That's what I'm saying. That's like that's great. It's been like what six months? Yeah, I did. No, that's amazing. Okay, hold on. How much do you weigh right now? Um, I'm 165 right now. 165. So you were 200, at least 200. Mm -hmm. And you're what? You're five eleven. Five, five nine. Five, five, okay, five nine. Yeah, that's me. 165. Okay, so you're a little chubby. Let's just put it that way. You're a little chubby at five nine. I thought I was. You were, okay. So, so now you lost forty pounds over the last handful of months. Yeah. But okay, so then what are you doing for exercise? Is this, um, like, is this why you just you put pizza on your plate? Yeah, I do. Just like, like uh, well, you never eat well when you're in. You know, I know. Okay, so we always put you in the tough spot. I can't eat. tell you how many jobs I've interviewed where they're like, "Hey, eat." No, you're interviewing. Yeah, like I can't talk with my hands. If I talk with my mouth, I'm not giving you the job. <laughs> yeah, for me, I, uh, I, I've, I've been that person that every January I'm like, I'm gonna get healthy, and I've been doing that for, you know, thirty years. <laughs> so, uh, for me, I think just. Um, we did a ton of layoffs at the start of COVID because everyone was bracing for the loss of money and we had a major impact on the business. So I had major stress with that, with you know, working through that strategy of you know, having the largest layoff in this company that I've ever had and doing it the right way and doing it in a way that we know that we can help people know we care about them. Um, uh, my sister, she died of ALS recently and um, you know, I watched that that progress in her life, um, and I just I reached my pinnacle number for weight. Like I reached the highest weight I'd ever been. So I just sat down one day, you know, and just decided, okay, I can't do the Ironman. I'm sick of doing that. I'm not, you know, I have sports induced asthma. I get exhausted anytime I do it, but I keep doing that. The last 30 years, I'm going to do what, you know, the cool guys that are doing Ironman marathons, you know, mountain biking, all that stuff. I, uh, I ended up just saying, hey, I'll, let's just walk. Like, just walk 60 minutes a day and just make that stick. And if I can do that, let's see if it works. I didn't believe I could lose weight doing that. Um, so I did that for 30 days, 60 minutes every morning. COVID helped. You said 60? Not 16. You said 60. Like one hour. Yeah, 60 minutes. Okay, okay, sorry. I, when I first started, yeah. this is 60. Yeah, one hour, 60 <clears> minutes. But... I just made a goal to do that and keep it a habit. I'm not, I've never been good with a habit on exercise, but I chose something that I knew I could do, and I call it the lazy version of exercise. It's like, okay, I'm just gonna be me, 
not kill myself. I'm just going to walk for you know an hour every morning. Um, so after 30 days, that was sticking, and I kind of got back to the usual weight I can usually get back to, which was like 195. Um, so I was like, okay, well it worked to get me there. So then I started doing, you know, the diet as far as how I eat. And so I just started managing calories well, getting habits around what I eat, and. Um, made that my next step for, you know, a habit that if I can just eat this way for the next 30 days, it'll stick. Um, and I noticed the weight started going up there. And so it was really those two things that I've been doing those ever since. And it's, you know, I've been the healthiest I've ever been, been in my life. And, you know, it's affected my, you know, my mental health, my physical health, everything. So it's... Uh, That's amazing. Yeah, COVID's that's so been cool, good. man. COVID's been good to me. Because <laughs> <laughs> people, 40 pounds down. That's awesome. When people mean, think like that to do like the most intense stuff. I mean, you've been watching what you eat and walking. Mm -hmm. 40 they, pounds later. We have a health, um, <laughs> I have a wellness uh, coordinator on my team. And she does an amazing job just getting webinars and trainings out to our workforce and you know, brings people in that are health gurus in the organization. They teach people. Here's what I did. Yeah. And um, when my team like started seeing a difference in how I looked, she she just said, well, "Why don't you do this?" You're like, well, what am I going to tell people? And I, I got on and just you know told people on this webinar like pretty much what I told you guys. I went through my life, how I struggled. Um, I was very very honest about things in my life that have impacted my psyche on exercise and health. Um, but I walked people through what I did and just said, you know, not everyone's the same. Not everyone's going to go out and, you know, have a habit and be able to do a habit where they can do the amazing things that we all see on TV. They're always promoted. Um, and um, it was amazing how many people emailed me in our organization and just said, I can't tell you how much that helped me because I'm like you. I, I can't, I don't know how to do what they do and make it work. I'm crazy, I, I don't like to work hard and go through pain. And, uh, and I told them that I don't like pain. It's, they're like, they're telling you, I'm like you, I'm lazy. Yeah, which which I didn't, <laughs> like I told my wellness coordinator that I I don't know that I'm gonna be help to anybody because I'm, yeah. I'm lazy, like I'm just lucky, right? I, I feel very lucky that it just worked out for me. And not everybody's body can you know, adapt the same way. But um, it just, I didn't realize how much there's, uh, you know, that image we look for in society and media portrays that there's people suffering because they don't know that you can do it your way, that you can do it the right way for you. Right. And that's all I did is I found what's right for me. My marriage is benefiting from this. Not that it was suffering before, but it's enhanced right now because my wife got involved and was like, well, why don't we go on a walk at night? So. Our neighborhood thinks we're crazy because I'll go on my walk early in the morning and then at night, every night before we go to bed, we go on, you know, anywhere from a 20 to 45 minute walk, depending on if we have our walk in the morning. Um, so it's been big for me just to do it my way and be the lazy exerciser and it's worked over. You got the wiener people out there walking around the neighborhood. Yeah, the wiener people, yeah. <laughs> so do you like the data, like from the watch? Like do you track yeah. calories, distance, and then you kind of look at it and then, is that, um, and I'm only asking, I'm curious, just kind of curious about when I first started wearing a watch for fitness. Yeah. 
do day. I don't know what it was about. It motivated motivated me to even to continue to be consistent with working out because whether it was accurate or not, I love the data. I love the feedback. I love seeing time, yeah. calories, you know, where I was, the distance, like all, all those things. And I, I had Fitbit forever. I loved it. But um, I love yeah. I, I just don't like the technology. Like Apple has the technology. I think Fitbit has the exercise stuff. Yes, like exactly. That ten thousand, <clears throat> that number right at the bottom. Uh, if I can get it to turn on when I lift my wrist, which Apple does better. Um, it, it, that ten thousand is a big deal for me. But if I don't hit that, before it made me feel guilty when I had an Apple Watch because I wasn't doing anything to do anything about it. But yeah, it's. I think Fitbit has great exercise management, sleep management. Yeah, a lot of great stuff. Yeah. Um, I just wish it were in the Apple the same way. But I went from Apple Fitbit to Garmin to Apple. Yeah, trying to find the one that yeah. works. And I, you know, it's not to get on a watch discussion. <laughs> it, was, it was just one of those like Fitbit for sure was the best fitness watch, mm -hmm. and then Garmin was amazing, but it wasn't as good. Yeah. And then the brand, the the, the latest Apple watch, actually, is close enough to Fitbit type of feedback on the fitness side where that's why I went. That's why I didn't that's travel right. watch. That's what I meant. The brand new one is so much better than any of the old versions when, when you want the fitness side of it and the sleep data. Like I love the sleep data. I still love yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so not to go completely. Yeah. Technology discussion, but that was, um, yeah, I just was kind of curious. I mean, Fitbit and like we, we work out all the time. We mountain bike and do stuff together, and, you know, as friends that we work with. But that's awesome, man. Forty pounds. Yeah, that's amazing. Good work. Yeah. Um, I want to talk disrupt before we yeah, yeah, jump into the end portion here. Um, do you think that Utah is behind other states when it comes to like the HR industry and things that are being done? I think if you would have told me when I got here three years ago, I would have said yes. Um, I, you know, when I got here, Disrupt wasn't here, and the only reason I did that, I kind of fell into it because I went to Denver. We were thinking about moving to Denver, and everyone told me to go to Disrupt there. And when we decided, you know, we wanted to come home to Utah, um, they didn't have it here. No one knew about it here. No one was paying attention to anything outside of Utah. Yeah. And so, I purchased the rights to that. I called Elisa, who was helping me find my gigs and recruiting for me. So really quick, sorry, is, is it like a franchise? Yeah, basically. So you, find, you, you buy the routes. Utah, the rights to disrupt in Utah. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, you get a kind of a geography. I think St. George, Jake, uh, Jake rushed and bought St. George, so he does it down there. Okay. Um, so I got Northern Utah, but yeah, I, I think the industry when I got here, I went to Shurn Con a Shurn conference with everyone told me to go through here and they just talked about the same old stuff and when I networked with people they were just passionate about the same old stuff and so I think what I saw when I got here that I, I noticed and we noticed when we got the that there was just an underground passion that came out with Disrupt where I, I thought we were just going to get 100 people you know like every other market in this country got told me, we get 100 people, it's kind of a fun little event, but we had 300 people the first event that we're all passionate about, this is needed, we need to talk this way, you know, um, so I think we're in a lot better place, I, I, the conversation has changed, um, Sherm, you know, is the local, uh, 
you know, I think the people, that, you know, a lot of the people that are involved in Shroom are disruptors, you know, yeah. coming in to help that change. And so they're doing a lot of great modern discussions now. So three years ago, I thought, you know, I told people constantly, HR here as an industry is behind by 20 years compared to where the Fortune 500s is have to strip resources and identify why do we even have HR? And they modernized it. Um, I, I think, you know, the challenge here is CEOs, when they start up a company here, they're not developed in HR, they're developed in building their business. And the first time they think about uh, HR is when they have to fire someone, do benefits. Um, yeah, well, so if it comes up, they haven't, yeah. like, it's like, yeah. well, I gotta, so I kind of, get a job. That's where the market, I think, is behind, is because the first time you hire HR, you know, if you don't know what HR is, it's for the problem. And so that's what a lot of companies have done over time here, is they've just hired the same old HR. And so the talented HR people are going outside of the state to find the right gigs. You know, I, I find that when I go to BYU and even Utah State, um, I don't think they'll admit to this, but I do think students are being told historically, if you really want to know good HR and experience good HR, get outside of this state. But that's starting to change. And I don't, yeah. think, I don't think we're as far as behind as we are. We were back then when I started out here. I think we're in a really good place where the conversation is getting to CEOs now and they're thinking about it. Um, you know, companies are starting to hire CHROs here more and more. Um, so I think it's in a great place. You know, the business is great. It's just that you know, I feel the HR has to catch up to the business side of it. Yeah. So you, your conferences that you hold disrupt is kind of like the TED Talk, right? It's like five minutes, mm -hmm. it's quick, it's to the point. How do you determine who you're gonna let speak? We just let people apply. There's there's a little recruiting that'll take place, you know, to get get the names out there, see who's out there. But whoever applies has a chance to be on stage. And the principle we started out as is we don't want the establishment and the people that have you know done these great things to be the speakers of disrupt. We want the people that are frustrated at the bottom to be the speakers of disrupt. Um, so it's really through an application process that we get the speakers and. It's surprising, it's, we get a lot of people to apply, but it's surprising how scary that is for people to apply for our conference. I bet. Because they're fearful of saying things that they're gonna back, get back to their company that they're frustrated about. And so, but some, of the, some of the talks we've had have been really good where people have just gotten up and shared their frustration about you know, the environment, the situation, and really gotten some good concepts out there. Um, I'm actually, creating a parent LLC called JumpSpark to it so we can start just having more conversations that are not controlled by a brand that I don't have control over. Right. Because um, Disrupt, uh, it got canceled this year because of COVID. Right. We're trying to get back where that's just kind of the trigger to the conversations that continue afterwards. Do you think it would have been successful if you did virtual? Um, Do you think you would have been fine this year? Well, we weren't allowed to just because the way they do it is you have to have the five minute talks that go global. So they have a global Venmo account where to get your, if you want to use their logo and get your videos on that, you have to have it be five minutes PowerPoint and videoed. Um, and they, they really didn't have a lot of flexibility with that. Okay. Um, I, think, I think there's some things we could have done, um, you know, just with everything going on. And, and Disrupt's honestly led by people that have full-time gigs. It's not like a yeah. full-time thing to make money off of. Um, 
So we're really just focused on bringing it back stronger next year and just calling this year a wash. Okay. So, so how many, how many presentations? How many people go on usually per conference? About about ten. Ten. Yeah, we'll have ten people, talks. How many people you have apply? <clears throat> we usually have about forty. Forty people apply. Is that a tough process? Like, yeah, this one. Like, some I'm sure you probably look at and you're like, no, this didn't happen. But are there some that it's really hard to say no to? Yeah, yeah, because we'll, we've got we'll have the leadership team disrupt. You know, everyone votes on it and gives their feedback, but everyone's on a different page because everyone has a different passion. Right. Got HR. So, and you'll have very role, very established people apply, and it's and it's hard to say. You know, are they giving something disruptive or something that they've been speaking about for the last you know, year? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's not easy to find the right people and find the right setup. And then the other thing that's not easy is. Um, a lot of people don't know Disrupt is built for experimentation and innovation, which means there's going to be mistakes, there's going to be flops, there's going to be stuff like that. And what I found with Utah is people have a high expectation for a conference because we're saturated with conferences here. And so they're always looking for the, the sexiest conference. And when we do the Disrupt, it's just supposed to be like Denver. We brought some Denver people here to Disrupt, and they said, you guys are a little bit too formal. You guys have a little bit really? too much process here. Um, and what they were saying is like, you're just supposed to have a computer, PowerPoint, just get up and do it. And you know, if it's good talk, great. If it's not, they did their thing. And so innovation is really about failure and that's what we've tried to bring into it is we're trying to get people up on stage, give them a chance, give them a shot. And some of them do well and some of them don't because it's a stressful presentation. <laughs> So really, we're trying to make it an innovative conference that kind of bleeds out into other conversations. But um, people have a high expectation that they, when we get feedback on it, they're like, "Well, that wasn't as disruptive as I thought on that talk or that talk." And you know, we probably need to do a better job messaging that, "Hey, if we get two or three good ideas out of that conference that have some legs, that's what we're looking for." Because yeah. it's about innovation, not you know perfection. Right. So, yeah. So when's the next one? Uh, it's going to be next May, so okay. we go to, you were identifying the date for next May. So yeah, like speakers. It's going to be the same people that's going to go 2020, but now they're pushed to 2021. We've got a strong lineup, yeah. They're going to go <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good. Yeah, plenty, of time, plenty of time to practice for that. Yeah. Yeah, she's got five minutes down. She'll be good next year. She'll be totally fine. Yeah. Good. Good. All right, so thank you. This has been good. Yeah, that was yeah, awesome. That was good. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, just your kind of your history. That's just a very deep, very interesting. Um, but the way you explained it, your history is amazing. Yeah, I love it. It's great. Um, so you watched a few. You know how the end of this works. Yeah, this is the. Yeah, I was watching it last night. You know, just my wife was going to bed. I was like, I gotta binge watch. See what I'm getting into. <laughs> yeah, I saw the questions. All right. So we've been doing some lyrics. Are you good with songs? You okay. Mm, yeah, just go for Are it. You okay. I'm right. prepared for anything that might not work for. <laughs> I got three for you. I went, uh, I went like some '80s type stuff. Okay. Oh, good. I thought it would be okay. Two of us were born in the '80s. Yeah. Or alive in the '80s. Alive in the. Yeah. Okay. I try to discover a little something to make me sweeter. Oh, baby, refrain from breaking my heart. I'm so in love with you. I'll be forever blue that you give me no reason why you make me work so hard so I hear you calling oh baby please 
give a little respect to me. <laughs> you want me to name that song? Yeah. <laughs> the thing that was coming to my mind that isn't it is the insane bye bye bye. Well, hold on. Was it two? Half your height would. 
hold on, half your height is what? It's like two, that's, that's, that's like, barely, you're not even three feet tall. You're not even three feet tall. You're less than three feet tall. Or? Or you're 300 pounds. You're 5'9", 300. <laughs> I'll go with the wave, like, I need to stay home with my wife, that's what I need. Okay. That's the three feet, three feet. Uh, okay, would you rather have $100,000 now, or for 24 hours, every time you reach into your pocket, you pull out $2? Full 24 hours. You pull out. You gotta think about that one, because how many seconds are in a day, like? So you basically, you, I mean, you're just, for two bucks, two bucks, two, like all day long, just two dollars? Yeah, every time you pull out, yeah. There's no way. Like 86,000 something seconds in a day. So depending on how long you can keep that up, you might come out on top. You reach your hand into your pocket every time you pull out two bucks. Two bucks. Without doing the math, I'd take the risk on the two bucks. Okay. 24 hours, what'd you do? I just take the money. You said 100? 100K. I'll take 100K. 100K. I just don't know if I wanna do, I don't wanna, I really think that you're gonna have some nerve damage or some sort of muscle damage after 24 it's hours. Like you a, can't even sleep. That's the thing you're staying away. It's kind of like I, I, have, I have a pension at Kraft Foods that tells me how much I'm gonna get for the rest of my life and how much my wife's gonna get after I die. And me and my wife are debating that right now as far as okay, when I get to 65 and I can cash that out, you wanna cash it out or just have the guaranteed money? She wants to just have the guaranteed money. I wanna cash it out. She wants to put her hand in her pocket all day long, get you locked out. You want to get that okay. Yeah. Yeah. Even though if I invest it right, I can get more than that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's. I think it's about safety versus <laughs> risk. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You won't be able to use your arm for weeks. Um. Uh, would you rather have no taste or be colorblind? Colorblind. I go colorblind. Yeah, taste is tough. tough. Yeah, but then you do the things you wouldn't want to eat very often. You wouldn't have. Probably wouldn't have a weight problem ever. That's true, but life is, food is but good. Food is good. I know, Reese's peanut butter comes so good. Right? Color's good, but... Yeah. Would you rather be the person who flips the switch during executions, or the judge who decides who should get executed? <laughs> Either way. Either way, you're sending somebody to die. That sucks. Uh, yeah, be the judge. The judge, okay. I'd never do the execution. I'd have to go for the judge too. All right. Would you rather always be twenty late, twenty minutes late for important events, or always be two hours early to everything else? I think my marriage would be better off two hours early. <laughs> my wife's always on time. Uh, that one would suck. Like, why? Yeah, wasting time. Just shows up here at ten thirty, just waiting. Yeah, just take a seat, but we'll be with you yeah, in a couple hours. <laughs> we got something to do. We got something to keep us busy. Yeah, that's right. right. Um, would you rather never age physically or never age mentally? Oh, that's deep. Never <laughs> <laughs> age physically or never age mentally. Uh, I want my mental, so. Mental state, never age mentally. Yeah, okay. mental. Would you rather eat a raw onion? or two whole, what's a thing of garlic? Is it a head or a clove? A head? 
The clove is the small one. The small one. Right? Okay, so the hand, so the two whole, whole it's things. It's a whole of thing of garlic. Yeah, one raw onion or two heads of garlic. But do you have to eat all the like weird? No, no, no. You can take, yeah, take, take the, the papers off. I'll do the garlic. I like garlic. Garlic. Oh, so much. You're talking about a whole onion? Like yeah. you just like bite like an apple? Yeah. Or you, you take, take the, the, take the paper, the, the texture stuff off, right? Mm. Eat that. Or the same thing with the garlic. You take all that crap off and then eat the yeah, garlic. Yeah, garlic. garlic. Seems like that's, there's something to do with, I'm sure there's some health diet that has like, you eat tons of garlic and you lose weight. Your neighbors are going to smell you on your walks. Yeah, the wiener garlic neighbors. <laughs> that's fine. Would you rather have cheese flavored toothpaste or ham scented deodorant? Cheese flavored toothpaste. Not like a pungent cheese, like a Winston Winster <laughs> cheese. Oh, a toothpaste for sure. Toothpaste. <laughs> like you'd enjoy it. Like, yeah, I, should... I don't know, like some of those cheeses are not good. Yeah. That's funny. This is uh, funny, my wife <laughs> my wife just told me that my she she didn't want to tell me because she didn't want me to worry while I was losing weight, but she said my breath stunk for the first month when I actually started losing weight. Really? Yeah, and she said I think it's because your fat was burning. So I don't I already know the cheese is gonna be okay. I don't know if this is real. But I swear I've, I've read this or I thought I'd learned this. To do the, like most of your calories, you know, you burn calories through sweat, but when you're like sleeping or whatever, it's through your breath. Like where you, where really? a lot of like calories leave the body. Does that yeah. make any sense to you? I'm pretty I, I sure would, I read that. So I'm pretty I don't know the science. So one of the reasons I'm, I've lost weight is because I'm- All your fat was coming out of your breath. Myself, but I, you're only supposed to measure yourself every morning, but I measure myself at night just because I want to see where I end up and where I, I lose usually 1.5 to 2 pounds every night. So there's something there. Something there. Something That's there. what that Food's breaking down. You think your breath is it's it's all the, the fat's breath. coming out. Yeah. It's the breath. All right, two more. All right, would you rather fight a chicken to the death every time you get into your car? Okay, every time you go somewhere, you got to fight a chicken to the death. Just a normal sized chicken? Normal sized chicken, yep, every time. Or you have to fight a gorilla to the death once a year, but you get a sword. So once a oh. year, or every day. And it's just normal, right? Like I'm going to work, I know I gotta fight my chicken before I go to work, before I come home. Chicken! Chicken! I like gorillas. Every day, dude. Like, how many times do you get in your car? Dude, but the problem is, what if you you swing your sword and you miss? You're you're done. You're dead. Yeah. Like the guy will rip your arms off. But uh, yeah, maybe it's, oh, it's too risky. I don't like can you kill. eat I, the chicken? I, like I can see the chicken. Like I can just like pile sure, it up. Yeah, you can eat it. I don't like oh. to kill. I don't like to kill animals. Like I'm glad I can go to the grocery store, but me too. Like the the ape feels more like I'm killing <laughs> a person. Person. This, I mean, yeah, with a like, sword. Dude, it's like okay, I'm going to work. Chicken. I gotta go get lunch, chicken. I gotta run to the gas station. Chicken. Oh, you get well. Then I would, I would take a bike. No, it's it's normal. You're still you're still driving your car like oh, you normally yeah, would. So it might be like five chickens a day. You gotta kill. Dude, that's <laughs> right. That is so many chickens, dude. Or once a year, you know, every day on July fifteenth. I'm grabbing my samurai sword and I'm gonna fight a gorilla. Yeah. Do, do you Google these questions on your own? A little bit of both. Dude, I'm. <laughs> Yeah, maybe I take the actually right. Maybe that might be the <laughs> once a year. 
That's something you, you, could train, you could train for it, though, dude. You know what I mean? It's you like, know how many times I leave at a night after work to go pick up kids yeah, for my like soccer or whatever? Oh, my gosh, dude. I'd be in five chickens at night. <laughs> I mean, not even including the daytime, but lunchtime. Yeah. Okay. As funny as it sounds, that's, that's one of the more interesting ones. Okay, I need, you, I need you to think of like the hairiest person you know. Okay. Okay, you got that person? No. Nope. All right. Just think of a super hairy person. Okay. Okay. Would you rather use the hair, right? They shave their body. You have to use that hair as facial hair. You have to glue it on your face as facial hair for, uh, we'll see, I had a week, I'm gonna say a month. Now we'll keep it a week. Facial hair for a week or eat one ounce of that person's hair. So it could be done I, uh, quickly. One ounce. Whatever, one ounce. Hair is not very heavy, that's a lot of hair. Yeah. It's probably a lot of hair. Yeah, it would be a lot. I'm not, I don't like that. I'll, I'll wear it. I don't like to eat hair. <laughs> One week, you can glue it on your face for one week. Yeah. Do, can you pick what hair from the, you like just know, section it's like of it's, the body? It's shaved and it's compiled. It's just like they're taking something. You don't know where it's coming from. So it could be pubes. Yes. what you're saying. Yes. A little bit of chest. A little chest, a little armpit. A little armpit. You don't, you don't know. It's just like well, And you're eating that, it's too. Here. It's here. It's just like wash it. Like, I'll wash it. You can get in the shower. Yeah. <laughs> it's not coming off. Though. It's staying on for a week. Okay, that's not <laughs> <I'll> wash it. <laughs> Before I put it on. Oh, sleeping on your pillow, dude. It's like, oh, this game. I think I'll eat it. And everyone, you just, with your tongue, you go like that. Gross. I might eat it. Awesome. David, also, thank you. Thanks, thank Appreciate you. Appreciate being on. That's That's good. Good. That was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, guys. And cut. Cut. You guys usually.